Hello and welcome to Her Moment in History. I'm Michelle. And I'm Grace. And this week is, well, it's kind of Edinburgh mostly, but kind of Scotland in general is our theme. So Michelle, big round of applause, has uh, recently begun her (laughs) uh, master's at Edinburgh University. So that's kind of our theme. So it's a bit loosely related Mm to Edinburgh... I think we both took mm-hmm. <laughs> when I said, "Oh, why doesn't that influence the episode?" I think we both took it in very different ways. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and you're going first. I am. So the woman that I've done, her name is Sophia Jex Blake, which is a fantastic name, and she was born mm-hmm. in Hastings in England. So throughout most of my research, all of the addresses for things that happened were very specific. I mean, like. Like, it would be a fantastic road trip to go and genuinely go to all of these places that she visited. So she was born at Three Croft Place in Hastings on January 21st, 1840. Mm-hmm. Her dad was a retired lawyer and mm-hmm. her brother would go on to be the dean of Wells Cathedral. So they were really, you know, a very well-to-do family, let's say. So she was initially privately educated until the age of about eight and then later was sent to different private schools around southern England didn't say why so I'm going to imagine that she was a bit of a rebel and that's why um (laughs) and then when she was 18 she went to Queen's College in London Mm. but her parents didn't want her to because education and women so when she was then 19 she wanted to be a maths tutor so she put an ad out and she wanted to gain experience in teaching and she did get a few jobs doing it But her family, well, her dad mainly, had said that she was not allowed to earn money from it. They did not want her working. Mm. So she did it all for free. That's nice. (laughs) Which is a good, yeah, loophole, I guess. So after around, I think, six years of doing this and studying, Mm -hmm. she went to America to learn about how women were being educated over there to see if it was was any better, uh, Mm -hmm. to see if it was any easier. And she did meet a Dr. Lucy Sewell, I think it's how it's pronounced, who was an activist Mm -hmm. for health and social reform and a physician in the New England Hospital for Women. So here, Mm -hmm. Sophia became the assistant at a hospital. She became really good friends with Dr. Sewell and decided that medicine was kind of where she wanted to see Mm. herself. Uh, She managed to pick like the path which requires the most most education when her parents Mm. did not want her to do more (laughs) education. So well done. She decided that she would apply for Harvard um, in America because Mm. the opportunity because obviously it was away from her family as well and because she'd seen women progress that way Mm. but Harvard had said that she was not allowed to attend because she was a woman (sighs) of course yeah you're gonna have a lot of those deep sighs in this so she later applied to the medical college in New York instead. She did get accepted there, but the year before she began, um, her father had died, and so she had to return back to England to look ah. after her mother. Yeah, dad just getting that last laugh in, being like, haha, mm. once again, you can't study. So um, she was also writing around the same time, I think about like her experiences, mm. and she wrote an essay about women in medicine and said that it was only natural that women would want to work as doctors because it was a woman's instinct to care for the sick which is my response but she did also say that there was no proven difference between the intelligence of men and women and said that if men and women were to sit the exact same exams having been given the exact same um, educational ability that they would have performed the exact same so she does yeah now the stance 
that like women are better, like slightly more intelligent than men. Is it? Isn't that the stand? I don't know. I think so. I'm sure I read that somewhere. I have seen there was a study about if women are in a class of only women, they perform better than the average. But if men mm. are in a class of only men, they perform worse than average. This is a very mm. kind of gender binary study, this was. It it very much kind of said that basically what we do is we put girls into mixed classes to raise the ability of boys, but in so sacrifice their own ability. It was like a, the, the big takeaway from the study. Literally my entire high school experience was getting put next to the really like rowdy troublemaker. Yep. And I was meant to calm them down in quotes. Yeah, same. I'm like, all I did was just ignore them and get on with my work. It distracted me more than anything. Or I was put next to them as well to teach them. So if they weren't getting something yeah. they would literally say grace gets it she can explain it's like i'm i'm 12 i'm not being paid to be their tutor <laughs> but should have invoiced them when you left yeah oh there were so many things oh kind of a bit off tangent so me and my friend we made a project where we basically you had to make some kind of like creative project for science mm-hmm. um, and what we did was basically we took the the module and we filmed who wants to be a millionaire but um, environmental edition and but it, because it was on this might be showing you know how far behind in technology I am I think it was on like a video cassette that we'd done it so when we gave it to the oh teacher the teacher had said like well, I don't have that so I can't play it but she was going to play it and then get back to us with a grade and she never did so me oh my God, so rude. <laughs> me and my friend had done that that was in about year eight when mm. we left in college, we said we really wanted to go up to that science teacher and just be like, so by the way, did you have a grade um, that who wants to be a millionaire <laughs> that we did? Um, it was it was honestly fantastic. And I think I mm. we ended up winning, in, in, in it, in quotes, I ended up winning a, a piggy bank that had a pound in it uh, because I couldn't spell the word nice. eco, which was a bit of a <laughs> early comedy for me there. So mm-hmm. anyway... <laughs> So, uh, Sophia, back in England, now kind of wanted to focus on educating herself a bit closer to home. Mm-hmm. But now with her dad no longer kind of forbaying her as well, she kind of was allowed to uh, study. But she still went as far away from her home, Hampshire, and uh, went instead to Edinburgh, where things were more liberal for women um, at the time. Mm. And applied to University of Edinburgh for to study medicine. So at the time, women were only allowed to study um, gynaecology and obstetrics, um, but they were not allowed to study kind of general medicine or general surgery. But they did say that they would allow her to study. It was like a panel, and some people did, some people didn't. Mm-hmm. Some people said that if they admitted her, it would lower the intellectual capability of everybody else, that the university would be uh, dragged, you know, would lower their standards. But I know, it's just some stuff, it's like, it's okay. You just, you felt threatened by women. It's fine, mm-hmm. but just at least prove that uh, they are better than you before you. Yeah. You start doing these or that. But they did say that eventually that she was allowed to study until it went to the university court where they said that because... So men and women would have had to have been educated separately. So you would have had to have had mm-hmm. the male class and the female class. Um, and so because she was the only one, they said it just wasn't economically viable. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So they said no. So she turned around. I find it so weird that, like, now in all of my university classes, men are the, like, 
there's barely any men. Yeah. Compared to the, like, ratio of women mm-hmm. in them. And, like, when it, it, was, it was all this before, it's just, it's weird. It's weird as well. I know, I remember reading something that was about, kind of, the way that as women dominate a field the field becomes i can't remember the word that was used but like less prestigious so at one time of course like teaching was like so prestigious to be an educator and then because Mm. now women you know overwhelmingly dominate the field of teaching yeah the idea of becoming a teacher and I'm sure most people who, you know, have kind of been in that discourse will mm. say, oh, well, I'll just become a teacher. And it is that kind of discourse of, like, it has lost its credibility because... Yeah. Yeah. And it's the same with, you know, like, philosophy and things like that, that because mm. women are then... Yeah. Which is complete bullshit, but it, it's... Ridiculous. Yeah. It's upsetting. Um, But I think, it yeah, it's... Oh. But anyway... So Fia decided mm. that because she alone obviously was not economically viable to uh, put a class on for, she would get other women to join her. And if there was a class, mm. then she'd be allowed. So a friend of hers mm. who worked for the Scotsman paper posted an ad uh, asking for more women to apply, and they mm. did. So there was, uh, I really apologise if I pronounced any of these names wrong, Isabel Thorne, Edith Peachy, Matilda Chaplin, and Helen Evans. And then a little later, also joined Mary Anderson and Emily Bovell. And they were known as the Edinburgh Seven. So... I've heard of this. There you go. Mm-hmm. I say, I assume that it would be kind of... Having been to Edinburgh yourself, you would you would know. Mm-hmm. And so, Sophia and Edith moved into... Oh, I should have looked up how to pronounce this because Scottish people are going to laugh at me. Bulloch? Bookluck? let's say, place, which then kind of became a meeting place for all of them uh, that they would then, you know, spend time with in the evenings and things. They did have to sit an exam to get in and the exam was in two parts. So the first part was kind of like everybody had to take an exam in English, Latin and mathematics because those were, everybody had to study them. Mm -hmm. But then the second part, the students themselves would get to choose from a list which they would want to sit the exam in. And so the options were like Mm. Greek, French, German, higher maths, natural philosophy or logical moral philosophy. And Sophia Mm -hmm. actually did then tutor the other girls in maths Mm. because she had experience in it. So I know, I love Mm. it. Just And so, yep, they um, then all got in. And when they then presented themselves to the university, the university charged them more than they were charging the men. Of course. Yeah. For no reason. They just they just decided, oh, we're just going to up it a bit. So also, um, because the teachers at the university, it was not like in their contract that they would have to teach mm-hmm. female students. They decided that they were not going to teach female students. So oh <laughs> these students themselves had to arrange their own lectures. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. Yeah. This is a disaster. Like, what were they paying for? <laughs> Then, why were they paying yeah. a tuition when the university were not educating them? It was themselves. Anyway, so the classes were separate. They were paying more. They were arranging their own classes. They were also graded differently um, in order to prevent them from getting the same scholarships that men were getting. And then also, obviously, men who were taking the course were getting very pissed off at them because of jealousy, which just throw it all in, I suppose. Yeah. So mm-hmm. the men made it as... as- hard as as they possibly could for the women to study and just to highlight a few things that they would do they would mm-hmm. send obscene letters to the women they would follow them home 
when they were going home, they would howl at them. They would shut doors into their faces. They would um, attach fireworks to their front doors. I'm really torn about the fact that I go to this university. (laughs) To be fair, a lot of this information, like the majority of it, I did get from the university website. So okay, they re- like they yeah they acknowledge what they did. I think they know that they fucked up, mm-hmm. and it wasn't. I mean, you know, it was a, a, a pass them. So let's blame. But no, they yeah. they acknowledge what they did, and they they are yeah. I see they're very apologetic, <laughs> and this kind of all came to you know a massive hit when um, the women were sitting one particular exam on the eighteenth of November 19, uh, 1870 and on the way mm-hmm. into the hall. Um, the men would throw things at them, were throwing mud and objects at the girls. And then when the women sat down to sit the exam, the men put live sheep into the room as well. I'd enjoy that. Not when you're sitting the exam. (laughs) (laughs) You're just like, it would be lovely. I'm like, not, not really. (laughs) I know if I'm sitting in an exam. It wasn't goats. Yeah. What? Goats would eat the, the papers. I'm, yeah, I guess so. That's a weird takeaway. Oh, see anything. No, that's, that's very true. <laughs> oh, God, I was watching a TV show. This is really relevant. And this guy's talking about um, an- farm animals that he's um, fallen in love with. And um, he's talking, he's like, and then they have a goat. And this woman turns around and goes, what kind of goat? And I was like, you know, if I'd said I really like goats and someone had said, what kind of goat? I'd be like, goats, just goats. A pygmy goat. Like, I yeah, but I don't know enough about goats to be like, it's a very specific <laughs> goat. I'd just be like, I don't know, a goat's a goat. <laughs> What kind of goat? So the papers covered uh, the riot and what had happened and about the treatment of the women. And they did gather a lot of like moral support uh, from the general public, mm. but not from the university. The university hated what they were doing and kind of continued to allow the discrimination. Um, and then after the women had been there for four years, the university just decided to like cut them. Oh my God. And just rejected them and said that they weren't allowed to graduate, the they should have never been allowed at the university at all. They don't do that to me. It's, times of like, don't, <laughs> whoa, do, do not worry, they would not. Um, yeah, no, don't worry. So the, the women moved their battle to London instead, um, and Sophia mm. set up a school for medicine in London, um, but women still weren't actually allowed to sit the exams. So they were allowed to study, like she was allowed to teach them, but they weren't allowed to sit exams and then get uh, the qualifications mm-hmm. from it. So um, Sophia and Edith uh, did their MD in Switzerland and then graduated from there in 1877. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they went to Ireland in order to become registered doctors and sit those exams. Mm -hmm. So they kind of like just Mm -hmm. went around to sit the various bits to mean Mm -hmm. that then they actually became um, registered doctors. And Sophia was the third woman um, in Britain to ever become uh, registered uh, by the General Medical Council. Nice. I know. I mean, way too late, but, yeah, you know, I know. still an achievement. It's it's just, I just don't get it. And I know because I was explaining this to my mum, my mum was like, was there ever a point when like women were able to do things and men just turned around and said, ah, now we're going to stop you? Or was it kind of always a thing? And I was like, no, th- there must have been a, a genuine point when mm. someone sat down and decided, I just don't think we should let women do this. And I'm going to make up some reasons why. And the reason is going to be they're less intelligent. And it's like, where'd that come from? 
so uh, Sophia then moved back to Edinburgh um, in the 1880s and set mm-hmm. up a practice there. She leased a house at, um, again, another very specific address, Fort Manor Place, um, and became a private doctor. Um, and she also founded the um, Edinburgh Hospital and uh, Dispensary for Women and Children, which was initially mm. to, she would treat poor women for a reduced fee. Oh, I know. And then when her mother died in 1881, she went through um, a period of depressive reclusivity, I think is a word. I don't know, I made it up. Mm. Um, And she kind of did, I don't think she kind of went back to being fully present until about 1885, so about four years later, Mm -hmm. um, by which time the dispensary was moved to a much larger premise and it also became the first hospital to ever be staffed entirely by women. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So then in 1886, um, she founded the Edinburgh School uh, for uh, Medicine for Women. And though mm-hmm. men could technically attend, it was kind of one of the first places where you didn't have to have a class for men and a class for women. They just kind of studied alongside mm-hmm. one another. And the university itself could not object because it was off her own back. So they couldn't get involved. Mm-hmm. Um, I, But I don't think she was a good teacher because... In 1889, two of her students um, actually did, like, sue her. What? Why? <laughs> I don't know. He didn't say. And then one of her students, um, Elsie Ingl- um, Inglis, um, did set up a rival school as well. <laughs> oh, my God. I know. Which, there seems like drama there, but there wasn't too much on it. Mm. So, but uh, Sophia's clo- uh, school did have to close um, in 1892 um, because it became obsolete. Because at that point, women could then go study at the University of Edinburgh. Mm. Although they could study there in 1892, but they couldn't graduate from there until 1894, which seems bizarre. I mean, I guess if, as long as your course wasn't shorter than Short. two years, you'd be fine. Yeah, but did the women know going into it? Like, did you have to attend university for two years and be like, I'm not even sure if I'm allowed to graduate, but I'm allowed to study, so that's the thing. Mm. Yeah. But what do they mean by graduate? Do they mean that, like, attend the ceremony or to get the actual degree? To get the degree. I think to, like, sit the exams oh. and get the qualifications from it. So That's stupid. I know. So, Elsie Ingalls' school went on, though, until um, 1916 as a kind of separate school. Uh, when we were... And it eventually then it did end because it merged with um, the Royal College's School of Medicine. So it kind of then just became something else. Mm-hmm. So, at the same time as well, Sophia was supporting the Russell Gurney enabling bill which was the bill that allowed women to sit exams which sit the very exams Mm. that she had been forbidden from um from sitting yeah I realized I should have ended that in life but that was kind of what she did then with um her work I suppose um Mm -hmm. she did continue kind of her fight for uh, for women's suffrage until her death and so I think after so after she retired she and a woman who on her Wikipedia page, it said she was rumoured to have a relationship with. But then I went on to mm-hmm. Dr. Margaret Todd, who was the woman, went on to hers and it was like, no, it was confirmed that they were together. I was like, okay, there's a bit of a misunderstanding there. Mm-hmm. So when Sophia retired in um, 1899, the two of them moved to uh, Rutherford together, Rutherfield together, mm-hmm. where they lived together in a house that they kind of opened up to anybody like former students former oh. colleagues friends academics they kind of just welcomed them all um mm. it came like a hot pot of 
just fun, really. Uh, and then after um, Sophia died in 1912, on the 7th of January, Dr. Todd then wrote her biography. Um, so there is a... Oh. <laughs> there is a... That's quite sweet. It is, yeah. It'd be weird, though. It'd be like, I don't know, to write the biography of somebody that you were with, but at the time couldn't tell anybody you were with. Like, bit... Mm. Um, mm. So there is a plaque to commemorate Sophia and all of the Edinburgh Seven um, in the main entrance of the medical building at the um, university. So when you are next... I have to get a picture of it. I say when you are next actually able to attend, because I know with lockdown mm-hmm. it's a bit difficult. So that is there. And um, her and all of the Edinburgh Seven were actually awarded their Bachelors of Surgery in 2019. So... Only, you know, hundred Over a hundred, yeah, years later. <laughs> uh, and they were collected um, on their behalf by student, by current students of um, medicine. Mm. So, um, is it Simran Paya um, collected Sophia's? Um, I said it was an honour. So, mm. And that's her story. So, the, mo- most of it was kind of centred around the work that she did in order to get... Um, just mm-hmm. women educated man i don't understand why it's so difficult but um you know yeah that's and that was her mm, that was really good thank you yes it's exciting as well i kind of i'm surprised that nothing's ever been made of it if you know what i mean i didn't it yeah didn't come across any of my research anything about you know any mm. anything so something someone needs to write that is like because i think it'd be it'd be fantastic mm. to do as a very funny but also very heartfelt um, film. Yeah. Yeah. Can we take a break? We shall, yes. Welcome to STEM Fatale, your women in science history podcast. I'm Emlyn Gremlin. I'm Emma Dilemma. And we're two STEM PhD students <laughs> <laughs> trying to learn more about all the women that science history has overlooked. Every episode, we tell the story of a historical female scientist. We discuss their struggles, research accomplishments, and get into the crazy banana sexism they faced in pursuing their scientific dreams. Do you like stories about escaping from the Nazis? We got them. <laughs> or stories about NASA's lack of understanding of the female body? Yeah, we got those too. We've got it all. So take a listen. And go, go stimulate yourself. Hello and welcome back. Hi. So who have you done? So I've done, um, she's called Flora MacDonald. Oh, I love the name. Yeah. So she was the person who helped Bonnie Prince Charlie escape. <gasps> oh! Mm-hmm. Yes, okay. Um, so she was born in 1722 um, at Milton mm-hmm. on the island of South Uist in the Outer Hebrides, which is off Scotland, the top somewhere probably. Mm-hmm. Um, she was the third and last child of Ranald... MacDonald and his second wife, Marion, was her mother. Um, and her father, they were part of the MacDonald clan, which is really, I don't quite understand how the clans work. I should have looked it up. But like, so she marries someone called, with the last name MacDonald, but I don't think they're related. I imagine it had been like um, a wealthy name. Yeah. So it's like just the clan. They're somehow related, but it's distant enough to 
make it okay? I don't know. Be, be justified, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So her father was a member of the minor gentry, and he, like, um, owned land um, of Milton and Balivanich. Um, mm-hmm. And she had two brothers, one called Angus, um, who inherited, like, Milton where they lived, and then Ronald, who died when she was young. And then um, her father died. Sorry, so their name is Ronald McDonald? Yep. Yeah, I just realised that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, no, you would have mentioned that. if that, I was like, oh, oh, no, but that is their name. Yeah, that's yep. their name, yeah. Yeah, I just didn't put the surname together. Yeah, and her father's Ronald McDonald. McDonald. <laughs> Fantastic. Fun. I'm, from this point onwards, I'm just going to have the image of the, the clown mm-hmm. in my head now. Yeah, that's that That was the colours, yeah. Mm-hmm. So her father died when she was one in 1923. Um, oh. And then her mother remarried in 1728 to Hugh MacDonald of Armadale Sky. So many MacDonalds. Okay. She was brought up by her father's cousin who was Sir Alexander MacDonald of Sleet. Right. And then the very small connection to Edinburgh. There's no confirmation that she was um, educated in Edinburgh, but there's some, like, suggestions that she might have been. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, And so most of, like, the MacDonald clan remained Catholic. Um, That was Mm -hmm. mostly on the mainland of Scotland. But mostly in the islands was where she was. They were Presbyterian. Right. So I'm going to give sort of a backstory on Bonnie Prince Charlie, in case people don't know. So King George II was king at the time, for context. And just, by the way, Bonnie Prince Charlie, his full name is Charles Edward Lewis John Casimir Sylvester Severino Maria Stuart. Oh, there's so many, there's, oh, there's so much in there. But also, the main main thing. Sorry, one of his name was Sylvester. Yeah. And Maria. That, and well, that was quite common to have. Oh, was it I Maria? Yeah, because it's um, but uh, Sylvester. Is it mm, oh, interesting? It seems very American. Mm. Weird. Mm. Yeah. Um. So his grandfather was. James II of England, who was king, um, and he was the second of England and Ireland and the seventh of Scotland. Mm-hmm. Um, and he ruled the country from 1685 to 1688, but he was then deposed when Parliament invited the Dutch Protestant William III and his wife, which his wife was actually King's, no, James's eldest daughter, to replace him. <laughs> In the Revolution yeah. of 1688. It's, Will- it's William of Orange, isn't it? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Um, so since his exile was kind of in... He went to uh, Rome with the, the Pope, granted him a home or something. Um, so the Jacobite cause was sort of a big thing that was trying to get the Stuarts back on the throne. Which is Bonnie Prince Charlie's a steward, if that wasn't clear. Um, and so, because England, so the James the sixth and first of Scotland, which was the last king that was a steward, um, his 
I'm guessing father, James the sixth and sixth of Scotland, first of England. Um, he sort of brought England and Scotland together in a way yeah. that they'd never been before. It was kind of by accident, though. Yeah, just because of the family lines. Uh, yeah, because he, he was Mary's. Yeah. Yeah. So he sort of started the whole movement to bring them as, like, a united kingdom, which didn't officially, until par- um, Parliament officiated it with the Acts of Union in 1707, which is when it became the United Kingdom. So Bonnie Prince Charlie grew up in Rome with his father, um, and his father tried to get support in France to invade England so that he could get back on the throne. But the the French fleet that was going to um, invade England was really badly damaged by a storm, so never happened. So Charlie went to Scotland to try and raise an army there. So throughout 19, no, 1745... Um, he managed to take over Edinburgh and he managed to get his army all the way down to um, Swalkenstone Bridge in Derbyshire. Whoa. Yeah. Oh my God, that's a long drive. I know. Um, But then when he got to Derbyshire, his council decided that they needed to return to Scotland because they didn't have much support from England or France. And the English... They were going to say, like, they forgot something. They were like, oh, shit, we forgot the phone charges, man. We've got to go all the way back. Um, and, like, the English had heard what's going on, so they were planning mm-hmm. an army to attack them. So then the English army caught back up with them in Scotland, which all of this I haven't mentioned yet is what happens in Outlander, the first few seasons of Outlander. Um... Not really about... He he comes into it, Bonnie Prince Charlie does, but he's not the main <laughs> focus. <laughs> okay. I've never seen Outlander, so I don't... I, I know, but I don't know our audience might. <laughs> oh, that's, that's right. Yes, yeah. The army with, like, Bonnie Prince Charlie's army and then the English army, it all ended with the Battle of Culloden in 1746, which is mm-hmm. a very key moment in Outlander for people who watch it. Mm-hmm. Um... And so they, the Scots and Bonnie Prince Charlie were not successful in it. The English won, um, which meant that Charles had to flee for his life. Um, so he arrived at the island of South Uist, where he met a 24-year-old Flora. And this was sort of ah. two months after he'd been on the run. Okay. So there's a bit, I'm not quite sure of the ties of, like, Flora and her family. Because one account says that, like, her stepfather and her fiancé were fighting in the English army for King George. Okay. So then it's like, why would she help Bonnie Prince Charlie? But then others say that her stepfather and her fiancé helped her to get, like, passage for, for Charlie. So I suppose because he was fighting for, he wanted to be on the throne of kind of England, and and Scotland United. Yeah. So I suppose if she was kind of wanted to see the line of the, I'm gonna get this wrong. So like the Stuarts obviously like had a line, mm-hmm. and then if she didn't kind of like that, it it now been given to kind of William of Orange. Well, alongside was it Mary? I think who was his 
wife. Because mm-hmm. he was not from England. Yeah. So I suppose, like, if you were, like, a really big nationalist, you were like, England needs to be ruled mm-hmm. by, you know, people from uh, Britain, then I suppose you would have kind of wanted Charles to be king? Yeah. I, that's kind of where I'm going with it. It might have just been a religious thing, to be fair. Mm. But then if a father and fiancé were in the army fighting against him... Oh, right, yeah. But because it's, it's <laughs> two accounts. everything I just said. <laughs> yeah. The, the, where they are in the army and there's one where they're not in the army and they help him. So one of them is correct, but I mm. don't know which. Um. So anyway, she agreed to help him um, and she got permission uh, from the local militar, milit- milit- uh, military, um, from the U.S. island... Um, and they were going to take him back to the mainland. And it was mm-hmm. accompanied by two servants and a crew of six boatmen. And so um, the prince was disguised as Betty Burke, who is an Irish spinning maid. <laughs> that was his disguise. <laughs> That's so specific. I love it. <laughs> like, we're going to disguise you as a woman. Wait, wait, wait. No, she needs a whole backstory. She needs everything. She needs a history. She needs a name. She needs mm-hmm. a profession. <laughs> so... They set off on the 27th of June, but they end up on the Isle of Skye, not on the mainland, um, Mm -hmm. which um, it's called Kilmuir, is where he landed, but today it's called, it's Prince's Point. Oh, okay. Um, So they landed near Sir Alexander's house, don't know, of Monkstadt, um, Mm-hmm. So he was away, but his wife, then Lady Margaret, let them stay there. Um, and there was this guy called MacDonald of Kingsburg, Kingsburg, who who told him to remove his disguise because it was really obvious that, it, that he wasn't a maid. Um, so yeah, then they got him passage to France the next day. Um, and apparently Charles gave Flora a locket containing his portrait, but they're not quite sure about that. Um, okay. And then after this, they never met again. And he, like, they both live, like, long lives, but he dies two years before she does. Oh. Yeah. Um, but then, like, news breaks out that she's helped him. And she's arrested and imprisoned at Dunstaffnage Castle. Um, mm. And then she's taken to the Tower of London. Um, so Lady Margaret, who created, like, uh, let them stay there, um, she spoke to someone at the Tower of London, um, like, on her behalf to try and get her released. Um... And she was released two years later. Um, and so, like, she got loads of support from aristocratic sympathisers and they, like, collected £1,500 um, to try and get her out. And one of them was the Prince of Wales, who was heir to the throne, contributed to this, oddly enough. <laughs> um, that 
<laughs> right. It was because she told him that she helped Charles out of charity and she would have done the same for anyone. Ah, uh, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So then in 1747, she returns to Scotland. And then in 1750, she re- she marries Alan MacDonald, who mm-hmm. was maybe a captain in the British Army. <laughs> um, Is that what they said on their first date? And she's like, oh, really? <laughs> so they moved to Skye um, and then inherited the estate when her husband's father died in 1772. Mm-hmm. And then the writer, um, Samuel Johnson... He's dictionary guy, right? I think so, yeah. He met her in 1773 when he visited the island mm-hmm. and he described it as a woman of soft features, gentle manners, kind soul and elegant presence. Oh. And he actually wrote oh. um, a memorial for her at Kilmuir where they dropped off Charles. Um, mm. And it says, a name that will be mentioned in history and if courage and fidelity be virtues, mentioned with honour. Oh. Oh, that's so sweet. Mm-hmm. Um so her husband was definitely in some kind of military because he was part mm-hmm. of the Seven Years' War um in 1756 to 63. But he was really mm-hmm. bad with money. So he got into um an argument with the clan chief over rent. So he was forced to flee to America, where they went to North Carolina in 1774, where they right. they settled on an estate near Mountain Creek named Killigray. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when the American War of Independence started in 1775, he was in the army for that. Um, yeah. Including his two sons, Alexander and James. Um. And then when he was, like, on the route to collect more British soldier, um, soldiers, they were attacked and he was taken prisoner for over a, um, a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And then she was evicted from their home and lost all of their possessions. Oh, Christ. Because this is now 1777, where they've got independence and the British lost. Yeah. So then he was then released in 1777, um, where she joined him in Nova Scotia. Oh, okay. And then it says, after a harsh winter in Nova Scotia, um, Flora... On all of them. I know. <laughs> uh, Flora took passage for London. Um, but while she was on board the ship, she broke her arm, and then uh, ill health delayed her from returning to Scotland until 1780. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she spent a few years, few years living with her family members. And then they didn't receive enough compensation to um, from like the war, so they couldn't stay in America. So he came back and joined her in seventeen eighty four. So they both were back in Scotland. Mm-hmm. And then she died in seventeen ninety, at the age of sixty eight. And was buried at Kilmuir Cemetery, and then her husband died two years later. Oh, also oh, she died at the, at the, the the place. The point. Yeah. 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 I was like, oh god, have I got this wrong? No. Oh mm-hmm. wow. 
Um, so they had seven surviving children. Um, oh my god. Two daughters and five sons. And uh, two of them were lost at sea in 1781 oh. and 1782. Um, the third son, John, made his fortune in India, which left them with like, quite a bit of money in later life, so mm-hmm. they were quite comfortable. But, because most of the narrative about Bonnie Prince Charlie escaping is focused more on him, obviously, but she's mm-hmm. not really given much credit for what she did. And apparently she never spoke about the event in her life afterwards. Oh. Mm. And so during the Victorian time, Scotland sort of tried to build up its cultural identity. Um, Yeah. So they started romanticising figures like Mary Queen of Scots and Bonnie Prince Charlie. And then eventually it gets to her where she's placed, like, as one of the romanticised figures who is key to the history of Scotland. And so someone actually ghost wrote her autobiography um, in 1878. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was supposedly her granddaughter, Flora Frances Wilde. But the historians, because there's so many errors in it, they don't actually think it was her. Mm. And actually, if you watch Outlander... The there's a song the the main theme um of the show is called the Sky Boat Song which is a like traditional Scottish mm. song which actually written yeah. about her seriously yeah oh because I do quite like I like the song because mm. yeah oh and then hey that's quite cool they created a Scottish Highland dance called Flora Macdonald's Fancy. Mm-hmm. And there's a statue of her at Inverness Castle. And then over in America, there's a school called the Flora MacDonald Academy where two of her children are actually buried on the campus. Oddly enough. That's a bit bizarre, but they, yeah. I appreciate the sentiment. Yeah. Um, and there are actually some surviving portraits of her by the Scottish portrait artist Alan Ramsey. A lot of them were destroyed, but there are still some left that's quite cool Mm -hmm. and that's it whoa that was good thank you that was very good (laughs) you're welcome no that was very very good do you have any recommendations i do and i actually came prepared with them which is unheard of for me um, so I, so at the very, very beginning of lockdown, um, I read a book that was called Crier's War by Nina Varela, mm-hmm. um, which is a fantastic book. And I finished it and I was like, right, I really want to read the sequel. Um, and the sequel came out at the beginning of September. Mm. Um, and I've read it and I, I didn't realise when I started reading it that the sequel was also like, there's only two of them mm-hmm. going to be in the series. Um, but it's fantastic and it's about this world um, where you have um, humans and you have I don't know how to pronounce it because I've only read it I'm going to say Autome mm-hmm. um, and they're like basically robots but they're robots that have been designed to be people but better than people mm. so they are like almost flawless um, But and so the Autome kind of rise to power so mm. that they are like the leading race mm-hmm. and humans are subservient um and cryer is like basically 
the daughter of the leader of the Otome and her handmaiden obviously is human mm-hmm. but her handmaiden belongs to the resistance against the Otome mm-hmm. and that's basically the, the premise of it and it's really really good um, and like I know so when reading it I was kind of like reading it and the the words were counting down and usually like, when I get through a book I'm kind of like eh, around you know I'll continue reading it and then you kind of stage it by I'll read 50 pages a day and then I can get to like the good part where I'm actually then wanting to read it but with this it's like straight away mm-hmm. and then I just didn't want it to end um so I, I've I've now read both of them and I'm really upset that I finished it because it was really <laughs> really good so but that is my recommendation please go and read mm-hmm. um you know obviously the first one first and then if you like it which I'm sure many of you will go and read the second one uh, what so were Cry they is called War, and the second one's called Iron Heart um Cryer's War is the series okay cry as well yeah so go and read them they're fantastic Mm -hmm. what is your recommendation (laughs) mine is i hope i get the right podcast um it's a podcast episode (laughs) from the explorers and it's all about the um it's like two women who one of them is like a brothel owner and the other one is just trying to be a like a, gy- a sort of gynecologist and sort of offers like illegal abortions um they're both like american women it's really interesting i'll find a link and i'll put it um on the instagram or somewhere but it's really great and it just talks about how both of the women were like imprisoned and like evil like made sort of like evil for what they were doing but i actually what they were doing was quite impressive so mm-hmm. like one of them they would she was trying to give like illegal abortions because there was no other option but then she got arrested a lot for doing illegal abortions um Mm -hmm. and then the other one was she made sure like all the people like all the women in her house were kept safe um as well as like making sure that, that they're actually like health checked and everything is like is just standard for them and she was like really good with business so she like made loads of money from it but then she got arrested a few times but still she kept reopening them it's really good oh, oh so what's that called that's the the explorers podcast i'll have to find the, the specific podcast. episode mm. it's very good i would ha- Ooh, recommend the good. entire podcast anyway oh okay okay i said i haven't heard of that one before Mm. So, because I've I've got into a habit where I'm just kind of listening to the same podcasts, and I'm like, I feel like I need to kind of mm-hmm. listen to more different ones. Yeah, it's all um, about women's history. Ooh, mm-hmm. very on par. Yeah, lovely. Mm. Fantastic. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Yes, thank you very much. Rate, subscribe, um, we send shall... us emails. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, just, you know, whatever it takes your fancy. Mm-hmm. Just try and be positive. Um, yes. And yeah, we shall see you next time. Yep. Bye. Bye.